Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy is the romantic hero of the novel, but he comes heavily disguised. The narrative perspective is so close to Elizabeth's viewpoint that we're tempted as readers to see Darcy through her eyes and to make the same mistakes about him. The first impression is good. His friend Mr. Darcy soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person, handsome features, noble mien, and the report which was in general circulation within five minutes after his entrance of his having ten thousand a year. He is established as good-looking and impressive, even though the teasing irony of the last clause implies that a lot of the attraction lies in his money. Caroline Bingley pursues him shamelessly, giving us an idea of the way young ladies might normally behave around him, as Elizabeth later says. Always speaking and looking and thinking for your approbation alone. He is quite a young man at twenty-eight. His parents are dead. And he is playing the role of a father to his much younger sister. He is also in charge of the running of his estate at Pemberley, and would be deferred to as master by all the staff and tenants there. As Charlotte sensibly observes, it is hardly surprising if he thinks well of himself, since he is surrounded by people who reinforce his self-importance. Charlotte says, "One cannot wonder that so very fine a young man, with family, fortune." Everything in his favour should think highly of himself. If I may so express it, he is a right to be proud. That is very true," replied Elizabeth, "and I could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine." Austin first presents Darcy in a setting where he will be most uncomfortable and show off all his faults. He doesn't like dancing and loathes the noise and chatter of unintelligent people. He tells Bingley, "You know how I detest dancing unless I'm particularly acquainted with my partner. At such an assembly as this, it would be insupportable. Your sisters are engaged, and there is not another woman in the room whom it would not be a punishment to me to stand up with." This is rude and insulting to Elizabeth, but there is also a hint here that maybe he is awkward and ill at ease with strangers. Jane tells Elizabeth this early on. Miss Bingley told me," said Jane, "that he never speaks much, unless among his intimate acquaintances. With them, he's remarkably agreeable. But as it comes from Caroline Bingley, whom Elizabeth dislikes, she dismisses it. The narrator gives us an enlightening insight into the friendship between Darcy and Bingley in Chapter Four. Between him and Darcy, there was a very steady friendship, in spite of great opposition of character. On the strength of Darcy's regard, Bingley had the firmest reliance, and of his judgment the highest opinion. In understanding, Darcy was the superior. Bingley was by no means deficient, but Darcy was clever. He was at the same time haughty, reserved, and fastidious, and his manners, though well-bred, were not inviting. In that respect, his friend had greatly the advantage. Bingley was sure of being liked wherever he appeared. Darcy was continually giving offence. 
Sudasi is unusually intelligent, awkward in company, and very full of himself. These negative qualities offend the residents of Meryton, and Wickham uses them to his advantage in spinning his version of the past, which blackens Darcy's character completely in Elizabeth's eyes. The housekeeper tells the visitors that Darcy was always the sweetest-tempered, most generous-hearted boy in the world. They are surprised. Elizabeth had assumed that his haughty manner must go along with an angry temper. Mrs Reynolds also has a very different view of his pride. Some people call him proud, but I am sure I never saw anything of it. To my fancy, it is only because he doesn't rattle away like other young men. Elizabeth now begins to understand Darcy's position in the world. She has thought of him as rich and privileged, but only now realises the importance of his role and how many lives he affects. What praise is more valuable than the praise of an intelligent servant? As a brother, a landlord, a master, she considered how many people's happiness were in his guardianship. How much of pleasure or pain was it in his power to bestow? How much of good or evil must be done by him? From Mrs Reynolds, we hear he is affable to the poor and a very generous and affectionate brother. Being rich had duties as well as privileges, and we see here that Darcy is conscientious and generous in carrying them out. Darcy perhaps appears at his worst in his first proposal to Elizabeth. He is completely convinced that she will accept, and he speaks to her in a quite insulting manner about her family and her connections. His sense of her inferiority, of its being a degradation, of the family obstacles which had always opposed to inclination, were dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. At the end of the novel, he admits that his pride had been excessive. As a child, I was taught what was right, but I was not taught to correct my temper. I was given good principles, but left to follow them in pride and conceit. I was spoilt by my parents, who, though good themselves, my father particularly, all that was benevolent and amiable, allowed, encouraged, almost taught me to be selfish and overbearing, to care for none beyond my own family circle, to think meanly of all the rest of the world. Such I was from eight to eight and twenty, and such I might still have been but for you, dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. What do I not owe you? You taught me a lesson, hard indeed at first, but most advantageous. By you I was properly humbled. I came to you without a doubt of my reception. You showed me how insufficient were all my pretensions to please a woman worthy of being pleased. These good principles and good sense mean that Elizabeth's rejection of him led Darcy to look into himself and realise his faults. He had loved her, or thought he did, because of her fine eyes and ready wit. But now he learns to value her more deeply, and to understand that he must change. Their relationship will only be possible when he acknowledges her as his equal, realising the irrelevance of her lowly connections and the unreasonableness of his prejudice against anyone outside his own class. 
he is wise and generous enough to understand this, and to keep on loving her despite her angry rejection of his proposal. Darcy's letter forced Elizabeth to realise how Wickham had deceived her, and she realises how prejudiced and unfair her view of Darcy has been. She makes this clear to Wickham afterwards. I think Mr Darcy improves upon acquaintance. Indeed, cried Mr Wickham with a look which did not escape her. And, pray, may I ask? But checking himself, he added, in a gayer tone, Is it in address that he improves? Has he deigned to add aught of civility to his ordinary style? For I dare not hope, he continued in a lower and more serious tone, that he is improved in essentials. Oh no, said Elizabeth. In essentials, I believe, he is very much what he ever was. When I said that he improved on acquaintance, I did not mean that his mind or his manners were in a state of improvement, but that, from knowing him better, his disposition was better understood. This is not quite true, however. Darcy does have his flaws, his own pride and prejudice. Elizabeth forces him to face these, just as his letter makes her recognise her own mistakes. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.